0: Welcome to today's episode of The Situation Report. Glad to have you with us. This is the show where we do our best to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stalniker. I am here with Chad Robichaux. And looking forward to a very helpful and informative conversation with an excellent guest. Today we're going to discuss a topic that all of us are feeling. (laughs) It is the economy. Inflation is on the rise. The economy is not what it once was. And by once, I mean like 10 months ago, Uh, things are going in a direction. We can see it. We can feel it. We understand it going in a direction uh, that really scares many people. We don't know where this is going to end. It's hard to understand what's driving so many of these factors, though. What's driving the economy as such? What's uh, causing inflation to rise? What's happening? Why is it happening? How can a simple change of administration have such a profound effect, a profound impact in such a short period of time? Very thankful that we have someone who knows exactly what he's talking about to help unpack some of this. Our guest today, a very special guest, is Dr. Peter Navarro. He is an American economist and author, most recently served in the Trump administration as the assistant to the president, director of trade and manufacturing policy, the National Defense Production Act Policy Coordinator, and Dr. Navarro, you've worn a bunch of hats in the uh, Trump administration for sure. Uh, Thank you so much for joining us. It's uh, it's a real honor to have you on.
1: Yeah, I went from uh, chief economic and trade advisor to quartermaster in the war on the pandemic. And if I may, Chad, this is, um, uh, this is, uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Um, it's an, a- it's a P4 what they call a P4 bio weapons lab, the people's liberation army of China mm-hmm. moonlights here. And a lot of the Trump time book discusses how this was the original sin of the pandemic committed, not just by the Chinese communist party, but by Anthony Fauci, um, I met. I first, as I document in the Interim Time book, in chapter two, I first meet Fauci in the Situation Room. It's late January. What I didn't know when I when I saw him then, I had a big showdown with him on the travel ban, was that Fauci already knew he knew the virus like we did. knew it came from Wuhan, um, but he knew that it popped up within yards of this lab. Hmm. What he didn't tell us, big of mission, was that his agency had actually not only funded research experiments in this lab but the kind of research experiments these gain of function experiments were precisely the ones that could genetically engineer a harmless bat virus and turn it into a human killer and he was advised by a top scientist of that possibility so this is the original sin that that Fauci I'm in the situation room with him he's with the task force he's with the president many times he never tells us Uh, that this thing likely was from the lab and was likely a bioweapon. Chad, why that's so important is that if we had known then, right then, we could have done two things. One is we could have really pressured the communists, Chinese, to give us the original genome of whatever it was they cooked up in this lab. We still don't have that. If we knew what that was, we could have made a much more complex and stronger Vaccine and done it even more quickly than we did. And number two, it's like we would have prepared much more rapidly. I mean, Fauci was telling us uh, in January, February, and as late as March that there was nothing to worry about. This was the flu, even as he was covering up his role. So, one of the missions of the uh, in Trump time book really. Is to not only fire Tony Fauci, but get him in a jail cell where he belongs for lying to Congress and and uh, and killing Americans.
0: This has been a uh, so everything you outlined led us to the place that we are now. I think in in many regards, um, we're dealing with so many things. Uh, one of the big things that we're dealing with is an economy that's. I don't know if it is dealing with or adjusting to the pandemic and all that took place in the last year or so, but we're certainly not in the same place that we were uh, under the Trump administration. Policies have changed, a lot has happened in in that regard. Um, Before we jump into uh, a conversation specific to the economy, can you just outline for those that may not be familiar with your background, um, your background as it relates to understanding economics and the economy?
1: Sure. Um, the, uh, the academic credentials are uh, a PhD in economics from Harvard and a master's in public administration from the Kennedy School of Government. I spent more than 25 years at the University of California, Irvine, at the business school there, yeah. teaching macroeconomics. That, that macro is really the heart and soul of not, not only what happens in, in the workplace and with businesses, Uh, but also more broadly with interest rates, the cost of money, the rate of growth, what happens to wages. So as far as being tooled up as an economist, it doesn't get uh, much stronger than that. Um, And what was interesting when I got to the Trump administration, um, I was widely criticized uh, by the the free traders for not understanding economics. It's like, (laughs) oh, you can't throw tariffs on this, that, and the other thing and um donald trump laughed all the way to the strongest economy in modern history The wall street journal um literally had headlines twice that said the navarro recession was coming of course uh, we got just the opposite so when we talk about what's going on now uh i think that yeah the first observation is that if you're at a really good place and you have a a a structural adjustment on the magnitude of the pandemic with all what we call cost push Inflationary shocks, you're going to be worse off. Okay, so the first thing you want to do is not make that situation any worse than it is, and that's the problem uh, with the Biden regime. Uh, they haven't recognized the structural underpinnings of the adjustments that are going on in our economy. So we have this, 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 this weird conundrum between uh, ten, nearly ten million Americans out of work even as we have nearly 10 mm. million job openings. It's a very strange thing, right. unless you understand kind of the online or online arguments. With respect to the supply chain issues, this was my bread and butter. And I talk a lot about this in the In Trump Time book about how buy American, hire American with the president's two simple rules. Uh, our philosophy was simple. If you have your factories here, if you don't offshore them, the supply chains will be nearby. So you have resilience supply chains if you allow your factories to go offshore to chase cheap labor and pollution havens as wall street and the big corporations want us to do and push our political leaders Mm. to do then you have fragile supply chains at best because the supply chains go over there too and broken supply chains when you have a pandemic type situation so we remain in this battle uh, uh, between trumpism and, and and the, the party at Davos, globalism, yeah. send our jobs offshore, don't care about the American worker. And so that that's kind of my take on where we are now. And we are in a very, very dangerous situation that, that makes the 1970s, I fear, going to look uh, like a cakewalk.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: my question is kind of three parts. One is, how could the economy switch from where President Trump had it to where it is now so quickly? Uh, secondly, was it Incompetence or or intentional, was it deliberate to end up here? And then last, is it recoverable? So the, the first chapter of the Interim Time book, I call it the Red Wedding Chapter, begins on J- January 15, 2020. The president's really at the height, the apex of everything in, in the administration. His strongest economy. We got peace in North Korea, peace in Iran, cracking down in China. Secure southern borders. Yet I'm sitting there in a cold sweat because earlier, years earlier, I'd written a book warning of a possible pandemic from China. So I'm thinking, watching these communist diplomats on stage with the president in the East Wing signing this so called skinny trade deal. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what do these guys know? Could they be infected? Why why are they sitting so close to the president? But most importantly, could this be a bioweapon designed? To attack the the only president who's ever stood up to China, mm. and throughout the book I make the case that uh, at a minimum, China committed a series of actions that did ensure the seeding and spreading of the virus, and therefore the pandemic. So once once that thing when that, once that virus in Wuhan was not contained, became a pandemic, uh, we were going to fall. Okay, there, there was no question about it. Now. You can do Monday morning quarterbacking and say well, maybe there was too much of a lockdown early on. Maybe we should have did this. Maybe we should have done that. And that's really good quarterbacking in a way because we have to kind of look at the reality of things now. But in the fog of war, we didn't know what we had. And that's why I get back to this. This is the original Fauci sin. He covered things up. He didn't tell us what was going on. We didn't know what we were fighting. If we knew... We were fighting a genetically engineered bioweapon at the time. We could have gotten the genetic code to that, pressuring the Chinese, um, and we could have gotten off to an even faster start than we did fighting that. What what we have now are structural adjustments that that are like white-collar people are home from New York. They're out in in the burbs, right? Uh, They're out in the Hamptons, right? They're working from home. They're okay, but what about the commercial office buildings, which have 30% vacancy rates? Mm. What happens to the janitors, the food service workers, the carts out on the street, the beauticians uh, around those buildings, the whole urban e- eco structure? It's like a neutron bomb has hit it. And there hasn't been a recognition within the Biden regime about that. They they think that all, they, all they're going to do is is like Keynesian kind of stimulus and everything's going to be all right and, you, and on top of that you got the woke zombie progressives pumping pimping like electric uh vehicles which are going to be made mostly in China right. particularly the battery right. technologies. Right. So um there's a there's a disconnect here and, and I think that you know, what what Trump understood was the economy, he got it. It's like I was with him. I'm the only one of three people who was with him the whole time, Mm. 2016, all the way to the end. Me, Scavino, and and Miller, the the borders are. And you know, when I was out in the campaign trail in 2016, it's like we we had a strategy, and it was all structural fixes to a broken Biden uh, Obama economy: tax cuts, deregulation, energy dominance, and fair trade. Boom, we did it. Add on some increased defense spending, and we got. We out consistently outperform Biden is consistently underperforming because not only did he undo the Trump agenda, but he also doesn't understand the morass we're in.
0: Yeah. And then the
1: picture behind you, I just going to ask how much American taxpayers money is represented in in the picture behind you. Say that again. The picture behind you, the
0: Wuhan picture, how much of how much of that represents American taxpayer money? Uh,
1: so um, you can think about about uh, Fauci's investment, right, and what the return was uh, for for Communist China, right? Fauci put millions and millions of dollars in this through grants, sometimes indirectly through uh, two cutouts, one named Peter Dasick, who I describe in the In Trump Time book as the dumbest human being ever to try to play God, <laughs> right. This other guy at you, you, uh, University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, Ralph Barrick, um, and then that money uh, went to the the, the the Bat Lady, or She Jung Lee, and she was the one who orchestrated all this. So think about this: the millions of dollars of American taxpayer money that went into this have resulted, and I estimate this in the In Trump Time book, in damages to the American economy and American people alone to date of about. 20 trillion dollars or about one year's worth of gross domestic product and that's on the low side as we move forward so for a few million dollars of investment by by american taxpayers the chinese got a huge rate of return on their their uh, the american investment in their bioweapons lab because china has gained relative to the united states economically mm. geopolitically and militarily and that's even more evidence that this was planned. I mean, Hong Kong might still be free if not for the pandemic, because what communist China did was take all those protesters out in the streets, lock them up in their apartment buildings, and then have their way uh, with democracy in Hong Kong. Yeah. So, uh, you know, one of the missions of in the In Trump Time book is to fire Fauci, but a second is to hold China accountable for what they did here, and get the reparations of $20 trillion from them.
0: My name is Jeremy Stalniker. I'm the CEO of the Mighty Oaks Foundation. And I'm here with my pastor, Steve Chappell, who is the pastor of Coastline Baptist Church here in Oceanside, California. And we are here today to tell you about our new book, Offensive Faith. In the Old Testament, the psalmist asked the rhetorical question, if the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous to do? And it seems like we're living in a time when the foundations are being destroyed in a lot of different ways. Here's the great news. God has given us incredible insight in His Word that can not only encourage us to hold on in times like these, but to help us to move forward by faith. And I think our goal in this book and what we hope for you, once you pick it up and you read it, is that you will be encouraged and equipped to go on the offense with your faith in a world that seems so often out of control. Order your copy of Offensive Faith today on Amazon.com. Can you talk to us about um, our current rates of inflation right now? You you mentioned the 70s, and it's, it's interesting because we can look at the 70s. High inflation, uh, gas shortages, oil problems, yeah. production problems, all the same things we're yeah, dealing yeah. with now. Um, What's driving inflation now? I don't think a lot of folks even understand where this comes from. So what drives these these inflation numbers?
1: Yeah, let me me put on my professor hat here. We're in a class (laughs) now. There's two kinds of inflation, right? There's demand pull. That's too much money chasing too few goods. And then there's this cost push type exogenous shock where, uh, for example, in the 1970s, the OPEC cartel embargoed oil and and suddenly saw higher oil and gas prices or we had in the 70s a drought and that drove up food prices. Now, um, both of them are dangerous. In the 70s, we had uh, both. We had uh, a profligate fiscal policy um, in the 70s, which resulted in demand pull inflation and the Federal Reserve accommodated that by printing money. But then we also had the Food and Energy Price shocks Here, Um, when we're spending trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars willy-nilly without any regard for the debt that we're incurring or without any strategic uh, emphasis on how we should be using that money, it's like throwing very expensive gas um, on the inflationary fire. So that's pure demand pull. But when we have, uh, for example – uh, a policy-induced cost-push shock, like, for example, a universal vaccination policy, which puts longshoremen and food processors yep. and truckers and pilots out of work because they refuse to take the vaccine, and that creates shortages and hoarding and inflation. That way, that's cost-push. So we have that that perfect storm now, and um, it's it's just – I mean, it's just – it's bad luck bad policy and the bad deeds of tony fauci and communist china driving all of this and if we're not very very careful uh we're going to have a decade-long battle with stagflation which is simultaneously slow or no growth Mm -hmm. and inflation like we had in the 70s yeah
0: yeah
1: what uh what policies and decisions can be made right now to turn things around uh, regardless of administration, just what are some things that we can see? It. Turn well, against. first, first, do no harm. Uh, the last thing uh, we should be doing is passing uh, another 2 or $3 trillion ill-conceived package. Uh, we had a stimulus package, uh, the $2 trillion we we were trying to uh, push. But in the In Trump Time book, I describe how Pelosi held that back. Ours was targeted at bringing... Manufacturing back on shore. Okay, think about that. So that would have not only created jobs but made our supply chains more resilient. Mm. That's the only kind of expenditures mm. we should be making. So, so yeah. just yeah. say no to the the Biden uh, be build back to nowhere BS that, <laughs> that he's pitching there. I think it's important uh, to embrace uh, the buy American, hire American, bring our jobs home. That yeah. I, that should be. Our focus to make our supply chains resilient. We should abandon immediately the universal VAX policies. It's not only bad economics, it's bad science. Uh, we should be flooding America with uh, low cost therapeutics like Ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine, make those available to anybody who gets a sore throat uh, and a fever and, and let, let healthy people who don't need that vaccine just develop antibodies with mild cases of this to get to herd immunity. And that, that that's something that we need to get to. We're not going to get there with the, with the, with the vaccine that I, I myself helped create. I mean, I was, it played an important role in that early in February, 2020, but I, I never thought that we would use it as a right. weapon against the American people. So there's a lot of things we could be doing. Um, and, and we're simply not. I mean, look, the fish rots from the head, head down, right? And the head that's on that president um, was never functioning well in the best of times. And now uh, I think he's a diminished in mental capacity. His vice president um, is ill-equipped to take over the job. Uh, many of the people who work for Joe Biden are compromised by the money pots of communist China. And, um, you know, the last part of the In Trump Time book focuses on how the election was stolen. And I I think that Hmm. we would be uh, remiss as a country and a nation if we did not get to the bottom of what happened on November 3rd. If you and I were sitting here in uh, November of 1961, right, and we knew then what we know now, that the 100 percent sure that Kennedy stole the election from Nixon, right, that's, that's now historical fact. If we knew that in 1961, what exactly would we be doing? Mm-hmm. Would we be saying, oh, let's grab uh, the House uh, in 62 and elect Nixon in 64 and everything's going to be all right? Or would we be demanding justice and fairness and uh, in, in moving to decertify the elections back then in, in Illinois and Texas and thereby Um, turn the election back over to the courts. I think think that's what we would be doing. I think that's what we should be doing now.
0: When we look at a lot of what's happening, I, I think many folks, myself included, are sometimes confused by exactly what it is that's motivating the administration, whether it's President Biden that's making those decisions or someone else is. Can you talk philosophy for a second? Philosophically, what drives this administration to make decisions that are unpopular, that are harmful, that are costly? <laughs> um, yeah. There there's, doesn't seem to be a political upside to anything that's happening right now. What philosophically is driving them to make these decisions?
1: Well, I, I don't think there is any philosophy. I mean, with President Trump, we had a clear uh, philosophy, strategy, and ideology. It was buy American, hire American, make America great again. Tax cuts, deregulation, energy dominance, fair trade, strong defense. Okay, that was our policy. Now, if you look at at Biden, I mean look, he's not mentally capable of of having that kind of strong leadership or framework. So take him out of the equation. So who's running the store? Well, you got Ron McLean. He's you know, he's a political operative. He doesn't probably think strategically other than in political terms uh but but even if he's doing that he's pushing biden into the worst kind of situations and weak i mean uh, you've never seen anybody plummet so who's left i mean jake sullivan uh, runs he said he's the head of the national security council i think he, he he's one of the guys who was behind the original russia hoax he's, he's nothing mm. but a political hack is, is he a deep thinker i think not that the guy running the state department got absolutely had his head handed and embarrassed um when he sat down with with the communist chinese i mean you would think that after 8 years obama biden that they'd have a deep smart bench but you got to remember <laughs> that was not a successful administration mm. so if they're bringing in the same people from right. from that administration um you know, what what you know, you think you think they're going to have a better result right. in right. a pandemic i don't think so yeah so um Look, it's all about in the end. Trump time book. There's uh, the canon of Steve Bannon. It's action, action, action. What we've got to do, uh, and, and I'm talking including your your show and who you speak to and things like that. We've got to seize control uh, of both the the Congress and the White House. But we've got to do it in a way where it's Trump Republicans in charge, mm. not not McConnell, McCarthy, corporate party yeah. of Davos right. um, surrender. Uh, To the Chinese kind of Republicans, and uh, it's going to be a battle, but you you, you always hear like our country's at stake and everything, but this time it is, this time the Chinese wolf is here.
0: As we conclude, and we're about out of time, can you, you've talked about your book several times. Can you go back and tell us about the book, why you wrote it, what folks can sure. expect, and where they can find it?
1: Sure. Look, I, I really hope uh, you will go out and, and buy this book uh, immediately. Buy some for your friends, great stocking stuffer. It's In Trump Time, a Journal of America's Plague Year. It's really the mm-hmm. definitive insider's account of the last year of the Trump White House. It has a very important set of missions. One is to fire and jail Tony Fauci. A second is to hold communist China uh, accountable for the virus that it has yeah. attacked the U.S. with and get reparations from them. And the third is is to get to the bottom of what happened both on November 3rd and the election, as well as what happened on, on January 6th with the betrayal of the president by Mike Pence and the, mm-hmm. the, the anything-but-an-insurrection that happened that yeah. day it was uncontrolled unacceptable violence uh but but there's a story behind there i tell in the in trump time book that's critical in exonerating both steve bannon and president trump uh, from any responsibility for that so go to amazon get it online if you don't like that go to barnes and noble there's Things at bookstores everywhere but we're fighting we're fighting against uh the bad guys uh the yeah. new york times purposely kept us off the bestseller list, even though we had uh, the numbers for that. They're trying to bury us. And unless you, the viewer and listener here, go out and buy this book, um, we're, we're not going to get the truth out.
0: That's correct. Yeah, I'm looking
1: right now. It's number, it's number one on Amazon. <laughs> We'd love to see it number one on Amazon. Uh, but I'm telling you that these, these headwinds, uh, it was really incredible that the New York Times did not put us on the bestseller list—it was—it was a brazen, yeah. blatant slap in the face, not to me, uh, but to the First Amendment and yep. uh, half of this country that supports uh, Trump, half plus a lot more. And the idea that that the New York Times would cancel a book on the New York Times bestseller list simply because it disagrees um, with the facts. That I put in evidence is disgusting. So I need
0: need your help. Very good. Dr. Peter Navarro, thank you so much. Um, wonderful, wonderful conversation. Buy his book. <laughs> Go out and get it today. Thank you. Appreciate it. All
1: right. Yeah, I'll take care. Yes,
0: bye sir. Very honored to have Dr. Navarro on with us and, uh, man, some great insight into the economy as it is. We look around. Uh, this is one of those, those issues, one of those areas that we can feel very personally when we go to the pump, when we try to buy groceries for our families or just go out for a nice dinner. We know that the economy has shifted, has changed, inflation has come, but what's driving this and what do we do with it? Uh, Thankfully, uh, Dr. Navarro helped us with that. Uh, Some great insights, a couple of things I'd like to leave you with today for our situation report. Number one, the big question, I think, on most of our minds is why is this happening? Why is it happening? Uh, The simple answer, you can go back and listen to the interview again if you want a longer form answer, but the simple answer is bad policy. What is driving the economy right now? Well, it's bad policy. Policy decisions that are being made are driving The economy are driving inflation higher and are causing everything across the board to cost more. Uh, It's important for us to be able to pinpoint that. So what's driving this? Bad policy. If that takes us to the second point, again, we asked the question and Dr. Navarro answered, well, philosophically, why are these policies being put in place? Why are these decisions being made? his conclusion, and I think a valid conclusion was, well, there is no strategy. There's not a philosophy. Uh, This is a disjointed, broken administration where there is not a single point of contact or a single head making the decisions. There are individuals who have different areas of oversight, and they're all acting in their own best interest. So when we see what looks like dysfunction, when we experience what feels like dysfunction, there's a reason for that It is dysfunction, it's broken. And understanding that again is helpful. That takes us to our third uh, and final point today in our situation report, what can we do about it? Uh, Well, if policy is what's driving the economy and causing inflation to rise, if we are experiencing a dysfunctional administration, there's really only one thing we can do. We can elect politicians who understand as President Trump did, the economy who are willing to stand up and put the right policies in place that will cause us to stop moving backward, get us back on track, and allow us economically to begin moving forward again. It's all about policy, and we need the right people in the right seats to put in place the right policy. Again, so grateful for this conversation, and uh, I trust that you are as well. I believe it's helpful, and that's our goal here is to provide helpful information so that you can navigate a culture that is constantly changing. Thank you for joining us this week. Looking forward to talking to you next time. We'll see you later.